0: We'll be reading one verse from Deuteronomy chapter 5 as we continue through Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments. I must share with you, and I know I've shared with many of you already, uh, the the study of the commandments really has, in many ways, just changed my life. Personally, I'm, I'm changed by the Holy Spirit uh, in a wonderful way. My spiritual growth has been blessed by the study of god's holy law and i didn't expect it and i'm just so blessed um, i prayed for personal revival in my own heart and for church revival and in my measly little pastor's heart i thought well maybe if i learned to present the gospel better you know that god will bring revival or things like that and shocker studying the whole counsel of god's word Studying the law of God is that thing that he used to really begin changing me. It didn't come from amazing preaching or revival meetings, it came from prayer and preaching the whole counsel of God. And in these commandments, I've seen God's righteousness dis- displayed before my eyes, his holiness in all of his ways, which has brought me to a love of my Savior and his perfect attributes. And then brought me back to my own desire to love my God in the way that He's shown us in His Word, which is centered on the moral law and this cycle of of joyful obedience and love and recognizing my inability to do that and coming back to the cross and seeing the law more clearly and seeing God more clearly. And this has been a wonderful thing for me. So I'm not tired of, Um, Preaching through the commandments, I'm actually going to be a little sad when we do finish. Uh, Although all of God's Word is wonderful, of course. Remember, Jesus also loved the commandments. It wasn't that He just had to obey to be a propitiation for us, a perfect sacrifice. He loved the commandments because He wrote them and they reflected the Father's heart for His people. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He summarized the Ten Commandments in these verses. And he affirmed the commandments in these verses. It wasn't just a mechanical thing. He was going through the law to be our sacrifice. It was his love for God. And this is the foundation of our obedience as well as our love for God. We see this in the preface to the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter five, verse six. There's three things he shows us actually as foundations for obedience. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Number one, I am the Lord your God. He's saying He's the sovereign king, so we are obligated to obey. But secondly, that He's our God. He's in covenant with us, so we should want to obey. But thirdly, He's the Redeemer. He's brought us out of slavery. So we should feel this great love to this God who has saved us and desire to obey out of love. In the the Seventh Commandment two weeks ago, we saw that adultery is related directly to the holiness of God. In the Eighth Commandment, we'll see that stealing is related to the justice of God. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy chapter 5 and one verse only, verse 6. This precious part of the word of God. Please stand and hear this word. Deuteronomy ch- chapter 5, sorry, I'll be reading verse 19. Deuteronomy 5:19. And you shall not steal. Please be seated and let us pray. Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word. Every jot and tittle is for us. It reflects something about You, and it shows us something that we need to learn about ourselves. Lord, help us. Lord, You know all the commandments as we study them are overwhelming in their purity and rightness as they reflect Your holy goodness, and and we can never obey one of them, even for a moment, apart from Your Holy Spirit, we pray that You would open our eyes to this wonderful commandment that You've given us. And that we might be blessed and You honored. In Jesus' name, Amen. You shall not steal or you shall preserve the property of your neighbor. Um, Remember, the the commands are all double-edged. So, not stealing actually also commands preserving the property of your neighbor and yourself. I'm going to walk through the text. And secondly, we'll talk about the moral principle behind the text. Um, We'll talk about the causes of stealing and then the types of stealing leaning heavily on the larger catechism. And that's the sermon. So remember this this commandment. This commandment is not just about stealing, is it? It's about integrity. It's about honesty. Um, I remember uh, watching my dad and my grandfather doing business. And in many small towns, it's still this way. Maybe in big towns too, I don't know. Even today, my uncle who runs a... Uh, an auto parts store in a small town. Someone will come in and say, I want this thing. And he'll say, Okay, but I, I don't have money to pay for it. I'll say, so, Well, I can't order it unless you give me money. And he says, Please order it. I need the part. And they'll shake hands. And something's just happened. That handshake is something, isn't it? What's happened just then? The man who is asking is shaking his hand, saying, This is my integrity on the line. I will do this, or I am nothing. And my uncle is shaking his hand as well, saying, I trust you. I trust you to do this. There was a time in our country when a handshake was enough. It was enough to buy a house. It was enough to buy property. It was enough to buy cars. You didn't need contracts. Because someone's integrity was on the line, his character The handshake said, the kind of business I do is the kind of person I am. And this still applies to us, whether you tell your wife you're going to do something, your kids you're going to do something, your your friends, your enemies. I will do my duty before God and man. My word is my bond. This is kind of the foundation of this commandment. Honest dealing with one another. Doing your duty before God and man. I remember as an Air Force cadet, as a very young man, one of the quotes we had to memorize like a hundred different famous quotes. One that struck me was General Robert Lee. He said, Do your duty in all things. You can never do more, and you should never wish to do less. He's talking about the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have, man to man and man to God, to live a life of honor and duty in a way that honors God and honors our neighbor. So, this text is wrapped up in integrity. Not stealing is wrapped up in honesty. You shall not steal is in the Hebrew just two words, lo, don't or no and then steal. No steal. No stealing. And it's second person singular. That's you. He's talking to you individually. You no steal. Don't you steal? So many of you probably think, well, I I don't steal. I've never taken anything from anybody. And if I have, I've repented, and it's not something that I really struggle with, Pastor. I don't, don't have a problem with this one. I think you do. First, remember that God owns everything. He owns the whole universe. All things are His. He's the ultimate property owner. He's the one who told Adam and Eve to work so that they could reap the fruit of their labor to work the ground and to work the entire week except on the Sabbath day where they rested and worshipped. So in the created order, work is important and you have a right to the fruit of your labor. Because this has been given to you by God. You don't work and get paid or farm a crop and reap the harvest apart from God. It's all from God. So when you steal from someone else in a big way or a small way, you're stealing from them, absolutely, but ultimately you're stealing from God because private property is a gift from God. So to take someone else's property is in essence sticking your finger in God's face and saying, no, this is... Mine, I want it. It's important. The culture would tell you that property is a gift from the state. It's not. So this is the context of of not stealing. It's bound up in, of course, the creation ordinance to work, to work hard for six days, and then to reap the fruits of your labor, and then to manage that well and to be satisfied with what God gives you. So quickly, just the rules of interpretation we've used for every commandment, and this is straight from our larger catechism. The law is spiritual. It applies to every part of the man. There's no like formal, uh, outward compliance with law that satisfies anything. Like it, It's all of you. It's not like you can be a Pharisee and say, well, I've never stolen anyone's money. There's a lot of ways to break this commandment. It applies to every part of you. Secondly, the commandments are all double-edged. We talked about that. Not stealing also means preserving the property of your neighbor. Thirdly, the commandments express God's created order. The creation ordinances flow into the Ten Commandments. Or the Ten Commandments expound the creation ordinances, if you will. It's always been part of the created order. The specific commandments reveal broad principles, which we've called moral principles. There's a moral principle behind this commandment as well, which we've talked about already, preserving the property of your neighbor. And finally, that the context for this command and for all the commandments isn't just God's ownership of us, but it's also love. The more we know God, the more we love God, and the more we desire to obey Him. Actually, this is the the most motivating part of knowing the commandments is seeing god's great love for us and striving to please him this is what calvin called the highest end of the law is our recognition that this reflects the father's heart and we desire to please the father so we desire to do his will and his revealed will is expressed most succinctly in the moral law so there's where we are in the commandments so number 2 what is the moral principle And this commandment, not to steal. Well, We've said it a few times. To preserve your property and the property of others. This is the underlying feature of the commandment and it's expounded in many, many ways um, in the Scriptures. To preserve your property and the property of others. To obey this commandment is more than just not stealing, of course. It requires some integrity, some truth, some faithfulness. So what are the preconditions for obeying this commandment? I just thought through this quickly. First, I think you must believe God and His Word. You must believe God. He's your provider. If, if you're going to be content with what God has given you in the work of your own hands, and we all have different abilities, some are more talented or smart or hardworking just by nature than others. So we expect the fruit to be slightly different. But regardless, if you trust God and you trust that He's the one who's commanded you to work, and he's the one that gives you the increase. You're only fruitful because God makes it fruitful. He gives you the means to procure your property. And in effect, he gives you your property. So you must be content with what he gives you. Like you have to, this is the, the foundational, I think, obedience to this is understanding that God is God and He cares for you. He'll take care of you. There's no need to try to take anything from anyone else. Secondly, remember that this this truth, this command never justifies sin. It concerns mostly worldly property, I believe, but it can never be used to justify sin. In other words, you can't say, well, I'm just so hungry. I'm starving. It's okay for me to go and steal. Or God provides for everything. God is in charge of everything. He owns everything so I can just be lazy. Lazy. I can be a slob. Or I've seen that if I work really hard, I can get more and get rich. So I'm really going to strive for more riches. Producing pride and vanity or love of money and love of the world. The principles we've talked about don't justify any sins. Thirdly, uh, if we're going to obey this commandment, I believe besides understanding and believing God's Word, we also need to remember that the character of God needs to be at work in us as well. Integrity, honesty, truthfulness, hard work, transparency, lack of deceit, trusting God, the faithful one. So there's how I believe we We understand the obedience to the commandment. But what are the causes of stealing? Well, it's I think the inverse of what we've discussed. Unbelief. Number one, you don't trust God for His provision. You don't trust that what you are getting is actually sufficient. So you don't believe that God has provided well for you and you're tempted to steal. Or you're tempted to at least not preserve your neighbor's property to the best of your ability. Or maybe you're tempted to defraud your neighbor in some way because you don't believe God's provision is real. You don't trust God that He will give you what you need. Secondly, covetousness. You just look and you're tempted like Eve was, and you see that that thing looks good and I want it. It's wanting something that other than what God has provided for us. And God gives each of us something different. God's not a communist. He, he, he doles out His gifts based on whatever He desires. And their general principles that if you work hard, you're going to be blessed. This covetous desire to have something that we don't have produces a heart that would potentially steal from your neighbor, defraud your neighbor, rather than working hard with your hands, which is what Paul tells us to do. Ultimately, the cause of stealing, the cause of breaking this commandment is the same cause of breaking all the commandments. It's a lack of understanding of who God is and just an unbelief. So what are other types of stealing that uh, are wrapped up in this commandment? The Bible talks about stealing from man, but also stealing from God. You say, how how can we steal from God? Well, there are two things that we see in the Scriptures. There's probably many more. First, robbing God of time. God has given you a certain amount of time in your life. And when you're lazy, when you're wasting time, when you're using your time poorly to pursue your own lusts or entertainments, you're robbing God of time. We're supposed to to capture the time and use the time well because the days are short. Also, With regard to the fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath day holy, this 24-hour period of rest and worship is sanctified by God for His own worship. The day is His. The commandment is clear. Yet how often do we steal time from God for our own pleasures and entertainments? Thomas Watson wrote almost 300 years ago, Therefore, after a morning sacrifice to spend the other part of the Sabbath in vanity and pleasure is a spiritual theft. It robs God of His due. And the very heathen will rise up in judgment against such Christians. But secondly, we see that we, we can also rob God of our treasures. You see, this is directly related to this commandment as well. All that we have belongs to God, and yet we're tempted to be stingy. Who's so generous and kind with us. Malachi 3.6 talks of the tithes and the offerings which God's people were Choosing not to give him. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I remember a, like a, a horrible televangelist saying, you can't outgive God. Well, just because he was a horrible evangelist and trying to fleece the flock doesn't mean that what he's saying is not true. It's true, you cannot outgive God. He's given you everything. And the principle of the tithe seems to be still a principle at work in the people of God. So we can steal from God time, we can steal from God treasure, but Primarily, primarily, this commandment is related man to man. You steal by not preserving your neighbor's property. <clears throat> I think it's interesting too, when you think of the importance of property in Judeo-Christian heritage, what do you see going on right now? It's a destruction of that principle. That's as Marxism at our door this anti-God, anti-property philosophy. Your property actually should not belong to you, they would say. It's not fair that you have it. And now with cultural Marxism, it's only yours because of your skin color, your privilege, your heritage, whatever. This is an anti-God evil doctrine, period. You should not give any time to this doctrine. You should just proclaim the truth. The Eighth Commandment requires us to lawfully procure and further our own wealth and the wealth of our neighbors. We work hard for God and God blesses us. And then we take good care of what He gives us. We'll talk about all the different ways that this happens. Well, going through the the larger catechism, I, I can't find any better explanation It's uh, question 141 and 142. The duties required of this are truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce between man and man, rendering to everyone his due. Dignity, respect, honor, as an image bearer, first of all, as as a person, even your enemies, they're, they're due something. honor in your civil, vocational, or familial, spiritual relationships. Romans 13.7 Render, therefore, to all their due, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This is Paul basically saying this is one of the ways you obey the eighth commandment. Don't steal what is due someone. The restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners. Again, these are, are scriptural principles, but this is stealing. This is breaking the commandment. If you've got something improperly and not returned it, you've stole from them. If you find something that doesn't belong to you, there's an obligation for you to find the owner. Leviticus 6 talks about this. If you have found that which is lost and you lie about it and swear falsely, then you're sinning. What should you do? You should do like Zacchaeus, who after he was saved, he stood and said, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have taken anything from man by false accusation I restore to him fourfold. According to the law, I believe he doubled what he should have had to give back. You so filled with gratitude, giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessity of others. This commandment requires us to be generous, to give and lend freely to those who need whatever they need. We should give and lend to others as we are able to meet their needs. And God will give you wisdom to apply that. Moderation of our judgments, our wills, and our affections concerning our worldly goods In other words, to not moderate your affection toward your worldly goods is to think of them too much. To think of them too highly. Not to hold on to your wealth loosely, as we should, but to hold it tightly. Your possessions, holding them very tightly close to your bosom. Or being consumed with thoughts of your stock portfolio or your work or whatever. Paul tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. This should be our attitude. Having food and raiment, let there be contentment. They who who are rich will fall into many temptations. We see also that obeying this commandment requires a provident care and study to keep, use, and dispose the things which are necessary for the sustainment of our nature and suitable to our condition. What's he saying? We should diligently work to preserve the property that God has given us. We should take care of it. We should steward it well. Whatever you have has been given by God, and He wants you to care for it well. You remember when Ahab told Naboth, hey, I want this vineyard. It's right next to where I live. Just let me buy that vineyard from you. And Naboth said no. Why did he say no? He said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. He recognized that everything he had came from God and he was not going to sell this inheritance to Ahab. We should be diligent in the care of our property. It's a principle in Proverbs 27 as well. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds, for riches are not forever. Forever. And a crown does not endure to every generation. So if God's given you something, take care of it. This is obeying this commandment. It's preserving your own property. This commandment requires a lawful calling. I think this is interesting that the Westminster divines would call out unlawful callings. Well, what's an unlawful calling? Whatever you do should be done lawfully. It shouldn't be illegal. It shouldn't be shady in any way. But you should also be diligent in the work, regardless of the task. Be diligent. Keeping this commandment requires frugality. To be frugal is to obey this command. Being frugal means striving not to waste your property, renewing things, reusing them, recycling them when able. And I'm not talking about filling the blue bin outside your garage with plastics. I mean, Actually recycling things in your home. Using them. Reusing them. They also say that this commandment should avoid unnecessary lawsuits. Amen. And surety-ship or other like engagements. Surety was where you basically sign, you co-sign some large loan so that someone else can buy something that's over their heads. And an unwise surety ship would be like signing away your own property, because if they default on the loan, now your estate is at risk. So we lend and we're generous, but we're not silly. And finally, the last thing they say about keeping this commandment is an endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and the estate of others as well as our own. We want to further the wealth of our neighbor. We want to help preserve their property. And this is only possible if we trust God. If we trust God. That He is giving us what we need. Well, what does it forbid? What does this commandment forbid? Well, first it forbids theft. This is just taking someone without... Someone's property without their consent. Taking something secretly, maybe, from their house or their person. A pickpocket. This is theft, right? Sneaking into the house and stealing things is theft. But they also mention robbery separately from theft. And robbery is different. It's violent. Robbery is actually looking at the person, taking violent action against them and stealing from them. larger catechism mentions man-stealing, breaking this commandment. He who would steal another person and sell him shall be put to death. Exodus 21.16. The slave trade was part of the early history of our country, New York and Boston and a lot of the northeast states. The, the families were rich because of the slave trade. They had the boats that went over and participated in that. But then receiving anything that is stolen is also breaking this commandment. A partner with a thief hates his own life, Proverbs 29, 24 says. So to partner with a thief is to to thief yourself. Just as an accomplice to murder, to hold the weapon for the murderer or to hide the weapon is to actually commit the sin. To guard the door during adultery, you've committed adultery. The one who hides the lie is lying the one who makes others work on the Sabbath, the rush to the restaurants, you're breaking the Sabbath, etc., etc. We also break the commandment by fraudulent dealings, they say. What are fraudulent dealings? Well, this can often be secret, these fraudulent dealings. Premarital sex, for instance. You're actually fraudulently Robbing that person of their future marriage partner of the virgin bed that should be his or hers. Or you're robbing yourself of that marriage bed. Pornography robs the wife of the passion that be reserved should be reserved just for her. This is a fraudulent dealing. You see how there's so much overlap in the commandments. Selling a car let's say, without disclosing all of its defects. This is fraudulent. You need to tell the person who's buying the thing, whatever the thing is, what's wrong with it. Let the buyer beware is not in the Bible. This is actually opposed to the Scriptures. False weights and measurements also break the commandments. It's opposed to the Eighth Commandment. There's just one standard, and that's integrity and honesty as it relates to man and man. The civil government, I believe, also has a responsibility here. When the United States, if you know history, we left the gold standard over 100 years ago. And this created, in a sense, false weights and measurements because the dollar's worth is not standardized. Inflation and increasing the debt through printing of money, this breaks the commandment. There's false weights and measures. The dollar doesn't it's not worth what it should be worth. It's always changing. They go on to say removing landmarks breaks this commandment. This is Deuteronomy 19:14. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary boundary marker in the inheritance God is giving you. People do this today. I mean, it's amazing how how much this still applies today. When buying property, going out and trying to change the boundary markers, it's something that still happens. This is why surveyors are so important. What are surveyors doing? They're validating the true boundaries of a property. Surveyors do good work. But the government also removes landmarks. They remove property. Imminent domain. Have you heard of this? The government can actually take your property if it's deemed... Beneficial for the greater good. This is anti-God. Eminent domain is not a godly law. Or zoning laws that prohibit what you can and can't do. Many argue even property taxes and inheritance taxes are removing landmarks in the sense that they're removing the boundaries of your property. But culture does this today too. Removing cultural heritage of our country the Judeo-Christian morality of our country is removing a landmark or removing the landmarks of our heritage and our history. What postmodern culture desires is just a world without landmarks, a world without boundaries, where we all just live in this ephemeral world with no real substance. They go on to say that injustice And unfaithfulness in contracts also breaks the commandment, obviously. Well, does this apply to us today? I think it does. Have you ever tried to apply for a car loan or a credit card or something, and there's like three pages of this really fine print? Nobody reads it. Or you try to download a new program on your computer, and you have to read eight pages of words. What is that? This is unfaithfulness and injustice being put in your face. The fine print often waves, defense, liability, pre-existing health conditions, whatever. The whole point is that the signer is not aware of the rights that they're being signing away. It's deceitful. It's confusing legal language. That kind of thing breaks the commandment. That's the opposite of being open and honest and transparent in your business dealings with man and man. Being unjust in matters of trust as well, they say, breaks the commandment in matters of trust. In Luke 16, Jesus said, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest with very little is also dishonest with much. So no matter what you've been trusted with, whether you think it's a little thing or not, be faithful. Dad says, go do the dishes. Be faithful, do them well. Your boss tells you, "I need you to pick these staples out of the floor, out of the carpet. They're just—they're everywhere. Do it well. Be faithful in the thing that God has given you to do. No matter what you've been entrusted with, be faithful." Things that came to my mind, things that I'm—I'm I'm, I'm regretting as an older man. I remember rental cars. We would often go on trips in the Air Force, and everyone got rental cars. It was great, and we would treat the rental car like it was. An Indy 500 race car. We would tear the thing up. Driving like a madman. This is breaking the commandment. We, weren't, we were entrusted this car to take care of it. And yet we would hide the scratches or the damage if there was any. Thinking that it was our due. Or if you're caring for someone's property, someone's house or whatever. And then you decide not to disclose any accidents you have, any spills or whatever. You're hiding this. You're not, you're not faithful in trust. Or you borrow something and then you, you don't tell them all that happened when you return it. They say that oppression is also, we're getting to, to the, I think, more, more serious um, breaking of the commandment. Oppression. Oppression. Using slander or fraud or force to get something or some action from someone else. This is a long-standing part of the prophet's lament in the Old Testament. The oppression that happened even in the land of Israel. Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-nine 29 says, "...the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and exhorted from the sojourner without justice." And I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. The extortion, the the oppression was such that the rich were just taking everything from those whom they could by whatever means possible. And extortion is just coercion. It's getting something by force or using your authority or your superior power Well, you also break the commandment when you commit usury. And then usury is just unreasonably high interest rates that you see in credit cards or um, bonds to get out of jail or pawn shop loans. This, this 50% interest rate or something crazy, that's, that's usury. Or bribery breaks the commandment. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. We should not distort justice. Bribery happens more often than you might think. I remember seeing this in government all the time. You have these contractors come in and they leave you a a big box of chocolate or some wonderful gift or they're going to take you out to dinner. And No, I'll pay. What are they doing? They're basically saying, do what I want and this is going to keep going. I hated that. It was just a bribe. They just wanted to to sway you into some favorable decision for themselves. Well, they say that vexatious lawsuits, the Westminster divines would say vexatious lawsuits also break the command. Lawsuits that are spurious. You've probably all seen these. Hey, if you've ever used pick a product, Wonder Bread, join this lawsuit for your piece of the pie. Right. This is just... A breaking of the command. You're you're trying to get something through greed or revenge or whatever that doesn't belong to you. Unjust enclosures and depopulations. What are they talking about? Talking about Isaiah 5.8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there's no more room, until you're made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. This is land thievery. It was a problem in the Old Testament, it was a problem in the Bible. It's a problem in Old England. It's a problem today, rich people buying all the land they can get at the expense of everyone else, just so they can have it. The like top 10 landowners are the most wealthy men in America. Most of them own millions of acres, millions of acres, just because. Engrossing commodities to enhance the price breaks the commandment. Buying out a competitor's supply so just so you can in- increase the price. Creating a monopoly, not for the purpose of providing a better good, but just to increase the price. Any other unjust way or sinful way of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to Him and ourselves. We're almost done. Or enriching of ourselves. Wilhelmus Brakel, an, an old Dutch reformer, 17th century, he described the other ways in this way: usurpation, keeping poor people's stuff or not paying them, just to keep them in control. I remember when we lived in Kuwait, the first thing they do when you arrive in Kuwait as a worker especially if you're from a poor country or something, these Indian maids or these Thai maids or Filipino maids that would work in all the Kuwaiti's houses. The first thing they do when you get there is they take your passport. And they put it in their own safe. Now they have you. They have control over you. It's breaking the commandment. Fraudulent wills, withholding wages, Brekel would say. Purchasing credit, knowing that you'll never repay it. Squatting on someone's property. I added that one. Covetousness or inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods breaks the commandment. We shouldn't prize worldly goods at all. We shouldn't love the world or anything in the world. Distrustful. Distracting cares and studies and getting, keeping, and using your wealth. You're just so engrossed with all that you can get, all that you have been given. And you can't think of anything else but your stock portfolio or whatever. And then they close with just a few, I think, general observations. Envying at the prosperity of others. You know, envy is different than coveting. Coveting is just wanting what the other person has. Envy is more wicked. It wants what the other person has, but blames their having it for you not having it. You would rather destroy it than for the other person to have it. This should remind you of our culture today. This is wokeism. This is Marxism. It's class warfare and class envy. Come to roost in America. Envy is rottenness to the bones, the Bible says. And it's just a reflection of a lack of trust in God. It's unbelief. Likewise, idleness, they say, breaks the commandment. To be slack in your work, Breaks this commandment. Idleness is stealing time. And you're going to put yourself in a position where you actually need to be given things. So you're stealing from others. Prodigality. Wasteful gaming. Also break the commandment. Being like the prodigal son. Wasteful extravagance. And then wasteful gaming. I'm sure the Westminster divines had no idea that this would be so applicable in the 21st century. How many people know others who waste days of a week playing stupid games when they could be working? Brakel says the Eighth Commandment is broken by squandering one's wealth, time, and life. Because you're defrauding yourself, you're defrauding others of that which God has given you. Just being stingy and scroogey is also defrauding others and defrauding yourself. So in conclusion, I'll just say, God, please forgive us. Forgive us as a people. Forgive us as a church. Forgive us individually. We've broken this commandment in all of these ways. We've robbed from God. And it's rooted in unbelief and covetousness. May we as a people of God shine brightly in our dealings with others. May we deal honestly with each other. Even our enemies, may they look at us and say, this person is always honest and true and upright. He must know Jesus. May we preserve each other's property. May we as a nation also return to godly views on property and not offend our holy God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this good day. We thank you for a day filled with rest. And we thank you that you have given us these 24 hours to rest and worship. Lord, this commandment is, again, like all of them, such... A wonderful reflection of your righteousness and your holiness and your purity. And we pray that we as a people would be enabled to reflect your goodness, your love, and your value of of the work of man. Lord, that you would help us to honor you in all things to the glory of Jesus Christ.